you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the pandemic. Today, most California public school students are back in classrooms, and perhaps for the first time in two years, most do not have to wear a mask. State public health officials lifted the indoor mask requirement for K-12 schools. L.A. County officials lifted a similar blanket requirement for schools and child care centers. And we're going to discuss this development now, as well as any other questions you have about the latest coronavirus pandemic news in our COVID AMA segment with our regular guest, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist and professor of medicine at UCSF Medical Center. Dr. Chin Hong, thank you so much for being back. Always a pleasure, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's uh, line up your questions for Dr. Chin Hong now. So give us a call at 866-893-KPCC. You can also leave a comment on the AirTalk Facebook page, on Twitter at AirTalk, or email your thoughts to atcomments at kpcc.org. Please tell us what part of town you are writing from. Now, Dr. Chin Hong, let's start with masking in schools. The state's largest district, LA Unified, they're going to continue requiring masks for now, but you know, basically the five next largest districts in our area are following the state's lead. Long Beach Unified, San Bernardino City Unified, Capo Unified, Corona Norco, Santa Ana. What's your thought on making masks in schools optional at this point? That's such a tough question, Kyle. Uh, To give you context, um, we're not quite where we were in terms of numbers of cases, um, say on the first California reopening on June 15, 2021. So we're descending very quickly, and we'll probably be at that level in early April. So that's why there's so much disagreement right now. The plane is landing. uh, We're almost there. And for most places, it will actually be very unrisky. But there's such a heterogeneity in California from, you know, Fresno, um, Central Valley with 100 uh, cases, 100,000 last week. Uh, L.A. is about 76 or so. San Francisco is about 40. So I think given this range, you can see why different school districts with different risk thresholds are having different, um, you know, interpretations of the science. Yeah. Well, and I feel like as someone who's been following education, you know, the education implications of the improving health situation at the moment is that still you've got a lot of students or a lot of children under the age of, of, you know, under the age of 12, ages 5 to 11, who are eligible for the vaccine, um, but that are just not vaccinated yet. Um, And the thought was, well, as soon as, you know, the vaccination rate is, is high for those students, then we can 
lift a lot of the restrictions on schools and child care centers. It doesn't seem like uh, they're, you know, particularly well vaccinated. Um, but the, and yet here we are with these, uh, you know, restrictions coming off in schools. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about about that. Are we putting kind of the cart before the horse here? I think in some districts, possibly, um, because, again, there is enough circling virus that may uh, have an impact on certain kids themselves, those who are immune compromised, of course, those with congenital heart disease or developmental delays, um, and for the people they live with, uh, including people they interact with at schools like teachers and staff. So I think, you know, that's kind of what the question is. And again, um, with a 32% vaccination rate of 5 to 11-year-olds in California, it's nothing to celebrate. Although, again, there's a lot of heterogeneity in the state uh, with the northern areas like the Bay Area having a slightly higher rate at 66%, um, but an average of 32% is, is nothing to celebrate. Your questions for Dr. Peter Chin Hong, our COVID-19 expert and infectious disease specialist and a professor of medicine at UCSF Medical Center. You can give them to us. If we'll relay them to Dr. Chin Hong. Call us at 866-893-KPCC. Tweet us at AirTalk or tweet me at KY Stokes, and we can feed your questions to Dr. Chin Hong. One more point on schools, Dr. Chin Hong, and, and the messaging around masking now in schools is that masks are not required anymore in mo- most parts of the state, but they're now strongly recommended. And I'm curious about the wisdom of this messaging, because as my colleague Mariana Dale talked to one teacher who said if she strongly recommended that her students take a quiz, nobody would take it. So I'm wondering if you can help us understand uh, the the thinking behind the messaging of the words strongly recommended with the requirement lapsing. Well, I think the intent was good, but the reality, as you pointed out, Kyle, may not be as rosy. So the intent is that as things come down, you become less strict in your insistence that everyone acts like blades in the grass when the breeze blows. And in fact, people would then take their own individual risk benefit. For example, if a child is immune compromised, uh, maybe that child would wear a high quality mask and others won't. But of course, the reality is far from perfect, apart from the idea that nobody will take a quiz if it was strongly recommended. There's also the feeling of bullying that might occur if some kids wear masks, others don't. Um, so, you know, therein lies the sort of difficulty. And then the teacher becomes that referee uh, once again. So I think these are all, um, you know, issues, very thorny issues that people will have to face uh, in many districts today. And I, I should just mention, since I, I was ragging on the vaccination rates of 5 to 11-year-old students, Los Angeles Unified says that they've had a very high rate of uptake of vaccines among students who are older than 12 at this moment. So that's worth noting as we talk about the future of school masking policies in, in Los Angeles. The, the school district in Los Angeles Unified, by the way, is negotiating with the teachers union. They nego- they announced that late on Friday. So we'll see what happens in, in Los Angeles with the, the indoor mask mask mandate on LA Unified campuses. I want to turn to a question, uh, Dr. Chin Hong, from Linda in Costa Mesa. How long do the effects of the uh, booster shots last? Uh, Linda says, I'm a senior citizen and got my first booster back in October. Am I ready for a second booster shot? Uh, That's a great question from Linda. So right now, the thinking is that uh, even though our antibodies may wane over time and the estimate is about five to six months, So in other words, uh, 
you know, depending on when your last vaccine was obtained, uh, say Linda got hers several months ago, her antibodies are coming down, but her memory T cells and B cells inside of her will continue to be active. So to give an analogy that's helpful for me anyway, the antibodies are like the front guards at the gate and they're up all night and they're kind of get tired over time and takes five or six months. But the inside immune system, the T cells, B cells have memory. Uh, the bulldog is asleep. And when the enemy comes inside, the bulldog uh, kicks the enemy out. So those adaptive immune responses remain strong for, for many, many months. And the idea of getting a booster is that it will push you over for hopefully, uh, you know, several years. But again, we're not re really sure. So we continue to follow data. I think Many people are worried about what's happening in the UK and other parts of Europe right now with um, more cases. And of course, the UK has been a harbinger of things to come in the US. And one of the thoughts is, apart from people moving around more, um, no contact isolation, no isolation required for people are positive, that, and BA2, that one of the ideas might be that waning immunity that allows people to get um, breakthrough infection, but not necessarily go to the hospital per se. All right. Talking with Dr. Peter Chin Hong of the UCSF Medical Center. Your questions for him at 866-893-KPCC. That's 866-893-5722 on the AirTalk Facebook page or on Twitter at AirTalk, where Steve asks us uh, in La Cañada, he writes, in your opinion, uh, Dr. Chin Hong, is this spring-summer closer to the end of the pandemic? You just said landing the plane, so we're going we're gonna to follow up on that here. Or is this just a lull between Omicron and yet another variant wave? That's a great question from Steve. And I think, um, unfortunately, uh, I don't think this is going to be the plane landing for good. plane is going to take off again, but maybe it's going to be flying at lower altitude. Particularly if you look at uh, the impact on our hospitalizations, I think it will continue not be too bad at least for the rest of this year, but we're going to see increase in cases. And again, many people are looking at Europe right now uh, with, you know, uh, increasing uh, cases, 50 percent, 20 percent in all parts of the UK, France, Germany, uh, all of these countries as what might come. But again, their hospitalizations seem to be holding up. So if you look at the current CDC uh, guidelines, we probably would still um, be in decent shape. But I'm worried that uh, with increasing cases eventually, uh, I don't, and nobody knows when it will come if this antibodies wear off, uh, maybe early fall, maybe in the winter, maybe sooner than that if we have a variant or if um, we experience what's happening right now in Europe. Uh, just speaking of of the maybe what's next of the pandemic, we're likely to see a lot of headlines about Delta Cron, um, which to me sounds just ridiculous. It's now becoming a parody of itself. These variant names, but it's a new high. It's apparently a hybrid of Delta and the Omicron variants. And and should I be laughing about it, Doctor Chin Hong, or is is this something to be concerned about? I think it's something to be curious about and to watch carefully, but nothing really to be terribly worried about. It doesn't keep me up at night. So for listeners, Deltacron is the spawn of Delta and Omicron that got together in your cell, in somebody's cell as Omicron was taken off and there was enough Delta there. And what happened by chance was that these two viruses infected the same person. And not only that, they infected the same cell, they made it and they had children. And those spawn are Deltacron. 
the idea is that it's probably not going to be acting too differently from Omicron. The reason is that the outside of Deltacron is very similar to the spike proteins on Omicron. It's just some of the genes on the inside look like Delta. But again, the immune system just sees the outside first. So whatever immunity we have to Omicron will also last for Deltacron. But, uh, you know, people watching the WHO is paying attention. There are about 30 cases in France, a smattering in Germany, Netherlands, um, Denmark, and U.S. has a a handful as well. I should not be laughing, but you might have heard my giggle when you said the spawn of a variant. And, and, you know, between Deltacron and the word spawn, it's starting to sound like an Avengers movie, keeping track of all of these variants. Um, more serious question now, a couple of them, actually. Dr. Chin Hong, from, from two folks, Mariana in Santa Monica, Marguerite in Huntington Beach, both curious about the shutdown of China's second biggest city, the Shenzhen. Um, you know, Mariana writes, they're highly masked and vaccinated there. What is the, the likelihood of, re- I guess, how concerned should we be about uh, what's going on in China at the moment? I'm very concerned because China's zero virus tolerancy, uh, tolerance um, strategy is probably going to fail at some point with a very, very transmissible variant like Omicron and a 30% more transmissible uh, sub-lineage of BA2. Mm. Um, you know, no one can escape Omicron or BA2, uh, look at what's happening in Hong Kong now, look at what's happening in South Korea, even New Zealand uh, to a lesser extent. The other issue with China that's worrisome for me is that uh, they don't have as much capacity of, of ICUs, et cetera, per mm. capita as many countries, and they've used not the same mRNA vaccines that we have. So the Sinopharm and Sinovac aren't quite as good, and um, mm. the elderly is not as popular uh, vaccinated. Mm. How is it that that it could? Is it just that I've, when you said about the variant that it could really wreak havoc in in China? I'm just curious. Does that is that just because a variant that already exists would be potentially more transmissible? I just want to make sure I'm understanding the implication well, yeah. of that part of your statement. And I I didn't say this other piece, which is that. The reason why a zero tolerance for virus uh, eventually comes back to bite you is that there isn't enough population immunity. There mm. isn't enough hybrid immunity. So whenever a variant comes that spreads like wildfire, it's going to cause a proportion of, you know, millions and you know, billion people to get ill, and that's going to overwhelm the hospital system. Got a question from Brent in Sierra Madre who wonders, will the nucleocapsid antibody test show whether, and I don't know exactly what this is, maybe you can help us fill us in on what this is, will that test show whether a person either has had or ever had COVID in the past or whether they have long COVID? Yes. So Brent has a great question. To just step back for the listeners, they had two types of antibody tests, so it's a great question. The one that everyone talks about is the spike uh, protein antibody test, which says, do you, did you respond to the va- or did your body respond to the vaccine? Uh, it's variably used. And then the other test that Brent talks about is the nucleocapsid. And that test just says, were you infected with COVID in the past? That's the test that the CDC used to uh, say that we almost have double the amount of official of, of real COVID infections in the U.S. compared to the official tally. And by looking at these antibody tests, so there are two types of antibody tests. 
make sure you order the right one if you're talking to a healthcare professional about getting one. Quick move back to Deltacron for a second. A note from our, our uh, health reporter, Jackie Fortier, who notes uh, LA County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer said last week that we have no cases of Deltacron in LA County at the moment. So uh, one more question here for you, Dr. Chin Hong. Corinne, uh, excuse me, Corinne in uh, Palos Verdes, is multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, that is MIS-C, a particularly harmful after effect of COVID, what are its long-term effects on the intestines, if any? Uh, that's a great question. So I think with MISC, it's just you get the infection, it's seen in kids in MISC, and then weeks to months later, you get like the immune system sort of like causing, getting agitated. And that's seen in many, many organs, including in intestines. How is it manifested? Well, in the intestines, it could be mainly something like irritable bowel, where you have abnormal um, stool habits, bloating, gas, et cetera. But they can have much more serious effects on other organs like the heart, uh, the lungs, uh, the central nervous system. Our last question from listeners, but one more question from me. I guess I'm curious, Dr. Chin Hong, before we let you go, um, is is now that we're sort of, um, we've talked about landing the plane and then maybe flying the plane at lower altitude again, um, as we're moving along, how should we know what the altitude is going to be? Now that we're sort of removing a lot of the restrictions, for example, vaccination mandates in, in restaurants and bars, um, you know, the, the or that you, you, you know, have to show your vaccine card, how are we going to get the warning signs uh, that it, that uh, we need to take stricter measures um, to protect folks um, against the, the pandemic at this moment? What are going to be the what's the what's the surveillance system that we're going to see? How are we going to make sure that we don't, uh, you know, have the, you know, a, a wave of new infections crop up and cause real harm? Well, there are two things uh, going to be used. The first is more traditional, but has some problems right now, which is the amount of cases that people are uh, getting when they're testing publicly, because a lot of people are doing at-home testing, so they don't get reflected. Another uh, newer method that many listeners may know about is looking at poop in the wastewater, so uh, wastewater epidemiology. And you know, all throughout the state and the country, that certain sentinel sites are looking at it. Right now, for example, Palo Alto is uh, showing a little uptick, so we're watching that very carefully. Everywhere else is pretty flat, so it gives an early idea that something might be amiss in an unbiased population from the community. So grateful, as always, for Dr. Peter Chin Hong, who always takes some time out of his very busy schedule to give us the latest on the coronavirus here on Air Talk. He's an infectious disease specialist and a professor of medicine at the UCSF Medical Center. Dr. Chin Hong, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.